If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to Daniel chapter 6. And while we're getting ready for that, I do want to invite Brian Johnson to come up here. I have something I want him to share that took place recently and like the last 48 hours. <laughs> and so um, while he's making his way up here, I just want to take a moment to recap what we walked through last week in this series, Rock and a Hard Place. The first thing I mentioned last week is that Satan wants our worship. Satan does not want you to worship God. That's his M.O. Okay, so that was one thing we broke down. The other thing is, is God is able to save you. Whether that's spiritually, if you feel like I'm just too far gone, God wouldn't want me. I'm telling you right now, God is able to save you. He wants to save you. And God can save you also from the circumstances that we walk through as well. The other thing to note is that God is with us. We talked about these three Hebrew men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, being thrown into this blazing furnace, and God was with them from start to finish. God was there, present with them also in the fire. And then lastly, King Nebuchadnezzar said, no one can save like their God. And God is a God who rescues. He rescues us, and no one can rescue like our God. Those were some things we touched on last week. And this series, Rock in a Hard Place, sometimes we go through difficult circumstances. Sometimes we go through very difficult things and we feel like we're caught between a rock and a hard place. And I mentioned last week how when Brady and I were uh, coming home from Wisconsin and uh, we felt like maybe we had transmission issues and I was standing underneath my truck that was leaking transmission fluid and the guy's telling me it's going to be about $5,000 and within a couple hours we were driving out with only a $20 invoice and we were relieved from that. And I mentioned I was calling Joe Butcher from up in Minnesota because, uh, you know, when you have troubles like that, you call Joe Butcher. And... Um, so I'm just going to have Brian share a little bit of something that happened just Friday in their trip up to Rise Fest with all the individuals that went and the bus. So Brian, if you'd be willing to kind of share, this trumps the, the truck story last week. So go ahead, Brian. End of story just first. We had a great time. We got to Rise Fest. The concert was great. I know many of you went yesterday too and had fun. But So um, we get here Friday. We load up. We're heading out. Um, we had about 30 people on the bus, I think. And so we're going, and we're about, uh, oh, I'd say 16 miles from Sheldon. We're almost there, right? And we're doing good, getting there on time. And, and uh, come to a corner right there, an intersection stopped and took off. And right then I just heard a, it went, and, you know, normally I'm thinking, what? That was weird. And, and, Shaney was up front, too, and she heard it, so it wasn't just me. I'm like, that was odd, because sometimes, you know, when the air pumps up on the air brakes, when, they, when it hits the max, it's, and it hits that, but it wasn't that, and I thought, well, that was strange, and so I'm driving along, just paying attention, and thinking, well, it feels okay, it seems good, you know, and uh, thinking maybe a tire or something happened to it, and pretty soon, it's like, yep, something happened to it, because it, and it started started shaking and, and stuff, but we got pulled over and got off on a gravel road, and, and uh, I, I was one better. I actually take Joe Butcher with me when I go somewhere, <laughs> so, um, so we get out, and we, we check the tires, you know, we're looking at stuff, and I, I didn't really see anything, you know, they felt okay, and, well, let's just get back in and just 
see what was what's going on and get back in and there's a definite you know something's wrong so we we're going down the road and it's like oh great what we're out in the middle of nowhere what do we do you know what 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 are we going to do and we're just kind of just going along really slow and i just happened to glance up and here's a farm place tom's repair and I, I just, you know, I just happened to look in there, and, and I'm cranking, I'm going in the driveway, because it's like, here's this huge repair shop on this farm. This guy used to be a John Deere repairman and started his own business about 25 years ago. And uh, that's all, he works on tractors and trucks. And we pull in there, and I get out, and a, a lady, must have been his wife, was walking up. I said, hey, is Tom around? And, and she goes, uh, yeah, he's down there. But So he went and got somebody, and... Two repair guys come up, they got eight employees. I mean, they, these guys go through 150 combines a year. I'm like, holy cow, this is a big shop, you know? And uh, come up and they're looking at it. And in the meantime, we had turned the tire out and I had rolled a little bit and Joe was looking and one of, the, one of the belts broke and the tire split. And so yeah, we need a new tire on the front, one of the front steer tires. And so these guys, just, just great, great people. Go to their shop. Yep, we know a guy in town six miles away. Call him. Yep, we got a tire. He sent the truck out, jacked it up, put the tire on, fixed it. About an hour later, I don't know what time did we get there. We we're probably an hour late. But still, we just, it's like, what are the odds of all this happening? It could have been so much worse, you know, and, you know, we're, no furnace involved, obviously, not anything that bad. But it's just so, what a blessing. We just felt, you know, what are the odds? Here we are. This happens. We're a mile from the repair shop that has the abilities and connections to do this and gets us going. We just, we're just giving God all the thanks for that because that didn't have to happen. You know, like in, in the story, what, when they say, even if, we still praise God. Well, God didn't have to do that, but he did, and so we're just so thankful for that. It's cool to hear testimonies like that. I know sometimes it doesn't always play out that way, but when you have a bus full of people you're responsible for, you know, the bus didn't get in an accident. We're thankful for that. Uh, You know, these types of things happen. Repairs are needed on equipment, and it just so happens it was right there when they needed it. I just thought that was pretty cool, especially with the story I shared last week. And here we are in part two of this series here in the book of Daniel. Last week I introduced you to three Hebrew men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and today we're going to be looking at an account with the writer of the book of Daniel, Daniel himself. And uh, perhaps you've heard this before, but we're in Daniel 6, and it's about Daniel in the lion's den. And we're going to walk through how this account takes shape, but I want to just kind of give us a little bit of a backdrop here. The issue with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is they were being asked to bow down and worship a statue that was being set up by a Babylonian king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. Okay, but you fast forward some years and the Babylonian empire was taken over by the Medes and the Persians. And there's this new king and his name is Darius. And so he is going to be a part of this story and he's going to be asking some things of his people. And part of that is actually put on, it's pressure put on by some of the guys that work for the king. And so what's interesting too is Daniel was taken captive in 605 BC. And if you then transition to this moment in his life, this is about 65 years after being captured, which I think is interesting. You know, we often might think 
you know, he's a young man about to be thrown in, but he's got some years on him here. And um, you can see how he was really leaned on in the kingdom because of his wisdom and his integrity and his proven record. And uh, so immediately when this uh, Babylonian empire is taken over, King Darius gives him, if you will, the authority to make a lot of decisions, call a lot of shots because of the track record that Daniel had. And so we believe that God's Word is the Bible, and it speaks to us. And so we're going to read from Daniel 6, but before we do, let's pray and ask God to move upon our hearts here today. So would you pray with me at this time? Heavenly Father, I thank You for this day. I thank You for the ministry that's taking place right now, whether it be here in our time in the Word or the children's ministry. We ask Your grace upon the teaching and the preaching of Your Word. I pray that all of our hearts, Lord, would be ready to receive and respond. And we thank You for this now, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, starting in verse 1. Darius the Mede, once they took things over, he decided to divide the kingdom into 120 provinces, and he appointed a high officer to rule over each province. The king also chose Daniel and two others as administrators to supervise the high officers and protect the king's interest. Daniel soon proved himself more capable than all the other administrators and high officers. Because of Daniel's great ability, the king made plans to place him over the entire empire. Then the administrators and high officers began searching for some fault in the way Daniel was handling government affairs, but they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. Could we use a Daniel right now in our politics? He was faithful, he was always responsible, and he was completely trustworthy. So they concluded... Our only chance of finding grounds for accusing Daniel will be in connection with the rules of his religion. So the administrators and high officers went to the king and said, Long live King Darius. We are all in agreement. We administrators, officials, high officers, advisors, and governors. We're all in agreement that the king should make a law that will be strictly enforced. Give orders that for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except, for, except to you, your majesty, they'll be thrown into a den of lions. And now, your majesty, issue and sign this law so it cannot be changed. An official law of the Medes and Persian that cannot be revoked. So King Darius signed the law. But when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and he knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with its windows open toward Jerusalem. And he prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. Then the officials went together to Daniel's house and found him praying and asking for God's help. So they went straight to the king and reminded him about his law. Did you not sign a law that for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except for you, your majesty, will be thrown into a den of lions? Well, yes, the king replied. 
That decision stands. It is an official law of the Medes and the Persians that cannot be revoked. Well, then they told the king, that man Daniel, one of the captives from Judah, is ignoring you and your law. He still prays to his God three times a day. Now, hearing this, the king was deeply troubled, and he tried to think of a way to save Daniel. Remember, he basically placed him as number one in command over all these officials. So he spent the rest of the day looking for a way to get Daniel out of this predicament. Now, we're going to just stop for a second, because when I read this, there's a thought I have. When you see what the enemy is trying to do, tripping Darius up, Have you ever made a decision and then had to deal with the weight of the consequences, just like King Darius? Have you ever made a choice or a decision in your life? The enemy leads you to a decision that maybe elevates you. This is going to be good for me. So you make the decision only later to be like, why did I make that decision? And then you begin this process of regret. Just like where... King Darius says, that is what the enemy does, folks. He'll lure you in, he'll prop you up, get you to make choices that make you feel good, but then later you deal with the regret. God can still move, though. Even when we live with regret, God moves upon Darius' situation, and we'll see as we keep reading here in verse 15. In the evening, the men went together to the king and said, Your Majesty... You know that according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, no law that the king signs can be changed. So at last, the king gave orders for Daniel to be arrested and then thrown into the den of lions. The king said to him, May your God, whom you serve so faithfully, rescue you. Now what did we learn last week? God is a God that rescues. We'll see what happens here. How many of you think God's going to rescue? Well, a stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. The king sealed the stone with his royal seal and the seals of his nobles so that no one could rescue Daniel. I think it's interesting that no one could rescue Daniel, but no one rescues like our God. So, he needs a miracle. Well, in verse 18, the king returned to his palace and spent the night fasting. He refused his usual entertainment and couldn't sleep at all that night. And very early the next morning, the king got up and hurried out to the lion's den. And when he got there, he called out in anguish, Daniel, servant of the living God, was your God whom you serve so faithfully able to rescue you from the lions? Was there a reply? Daniel answers. He's alive. And he says, long live the king. My God sent his angel to shut the lion's mouths so that they would not hurt me. For I have been found innocent in his sight. I have not wronged you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and ordered that Daniel be lifted from the den and not a scratch was found on him for he had trusted in his God. If you've ever held a baby kitten, they leave marks. And here this man is in the den where he could be ripped to pieces. 
and not even a scratch. It's just like last week when they come out of the fire. They don't even smell like smoke. They're not even singed, any of that. And just like that protection that those three Hebrew men had, God is there with him. God sends an angel, one, to shut the mouths of these lions. I don't know how many hands this angel had, or if the angel just sat there and they couldn't open their mouths. But the Scriptures say in Psalm 91.11 that God will command His angels, plural, concerning you to guard you in all of your ways. This is what one angel can do. And God commands His angels concerning you to guard you wherever you go. Powerful stuff. Well, so Daniel is rescued and now there's consequences to those that tried to take him out. And in verse 24, the king gave orders to arrest the men who had maliciously accused Daniel. He had them thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and their children. Now that sounds pretty severe and pretty heavy. Especially when the next verse says, the lions leaped on them and tore them apart before they even hit the floor of the den. Folks, there's consequences to our actions. And they affect the entire home. It's not just decisions I make, but there's a ripple effect. If I make a poor decision, it affects Brady. It can affect Judah. I'm responsible for my actions, and I'm responsible for my home. And so these guys made a poor decision, and it cost them their lives and the lives of their families. Verse 25, King Darius sent this message to the people of every race and nation and language throughout the world. And the king says, peace and prosperity to you. I decree that everyone throughout my kingdom should tremble with fear before the God of Daniel. Look at that. The change that's taking place. He says, for he is the living God and he will endure forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed and his rule will never end. He rescues and he saves his people. He performs miraculous signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. From the power of the lions. Down at Blank Park Zoo in Des Moines, you can get right up on the glass of some of these lions. And there was one time I was with Judah, and they were like gnawing on a bone that was like this big. And you just see these teeth, and almost through the glass, you could almost hear that gnawing on that bone. This is a powerful creature. Yet God... It's way more powerful. Way more powerful. So as I break some things down here for us today, I want us to understand something that's taking place for Daniel. These men around him begin to persecute him. And the reason, obviously they don't like him, but they start to pick on his faith. And we get that from Daniel 6, verse 5, when they say our only chance of finding grounds here is actually to pick on his religion. Is there any of that that's taking place in our culture today? 
Can we relate a little bit with Daniel on that? And I mean, not totally, but to a certain degree, it's like there's a target. And they're out to rip apart morality and character and the things that are sound wisdom. Our culture is living incredibly foolish. We're making the dumbest decisions, passing laws that don't even make sense. And all this is happening in our culture. There's a book that was released just this last March from Dr. Michael Youssef. Perhaps you've heard of him before, but the book is called Hope for This Present Crisis. The crisis we're in is that here in America, persecution is going to intensify. We've had a nice, comfortable bubble for a while, but the heat is cranking up. You can see that around us. And I got this email just like, I think it was last week from the Christian Post, promoting this book and even kind of interviewing him a little bit. So I want us to just understand a few things regarding this book that I think fit perfect with today's message. Youssef confronts the persecution of the modern-day church here in America. Over the last year and a half, restrictions that were placed on churches during the COVID-19 pandemic and the rising censorship of faith-based organizations and leaders has made it all the more apparent that the opposition toward the Christian faith is only increasing. How many of you have seen this in the last year and a half? Okay, four? Only four. Okay, all right. Well, good thing he wrote this book for four people, right? It's happening, folks. People don't like Christianity. Yousef says, he goes, I think we're only seeing the beginning of the unfair treatment and persecution that lies ahead for the church. I believe we're heading into a time of severe testing where we're about to find out if we're made of the same stuff as the apostles that are described in Scripture. We're about to find out if we're willing to stand for God's truth, whatever the cost. Are there any Daniels in the room? Are there any Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's in the room? It's coming. Are we ready? Is your faith real? Because it's about to get tested. In this book, Yousef encourages Christians to see these times of crisis as opportunities for revival. He also provides practical action steps for Christians to take in order to see spiritual renewal in America, the very first one is that Christians should morally and spiritually purify themselves. Response number one is let's look inward. Are there things in my life that I need to get right? Are there things in my life that need to change? Turning from sin and turning to God for forgiveness and restoration. God has promised that if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. The second thing he notes is that Christians should pray for our nation. Yusef urges believers to thank God for our country and ask Him to send revival. Pray for God to turn every church and home into a house of prayer. Ask Him to purify His people so that the bride of Christ would be faithful and holy, and ask Him to set us apart as His followers, consecrated to His service and to the preaching of the gospel. 
So the first thing is inward, but then let's get our homes and our churches where they need to be as far as serving and worshiping the Lord. The last point he makes is that Christians should persevere in sharing the gospel with everyone around them. Whether people receive the good news with joy or they reject it, never give up and never stop witnessing to those around you. That's a practical response that he gives. He says the apostles could have prayed when persecution was coming down on them. They could have said, Lord, stop these evil men, silence them, and defeat them, thwart their plans. But that was not the prayer of Peter and John. Instead, they prayed, Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Don't just pray for the enemy to be silenced. Pray that God would give you the courage to speak up. He says the time is now upon us when we must pray for boldness rather than safety. We must obey God rather than human beings. At a time when many are becoming discouraged by the spiritual climate in America, Yusuf encourages his readers that any contest of ideas, whether we have the First Amendment or the Supreme Court on our side, or our rights have been stripped from us and the entire world has risen against us, God's truth will prevail. There are countries where it is illegal to gather like this, to even be a Christian. You're ostracized from your family, yet the gospel goes forth with great power. People are coming to Christ by the hundreds and thousands, and they're living in worse conditions than you and I are. They don't have the freedoms that we have. And yet revival continues to take place. The next thing I want to point out in regards to Daniel is that doing the right thing, folks, is not always easy, and sometimes it just simply requires effort. It means we've got to roll up our sleeves and get ready because the right thing to do still needs to happen, whether it's easy or not. In 2 Corinthians 8.21, Paul says that we're taking pains to do what's right. We're striving for this. And James 4.17 says it's a sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. And so, we try to do the right thing. By God's grace, by God's power, we step forward to do the right thing and ultimately understanding that even with Daniel's Hebrew name, it means God is judge. There's a day where I'm going to stand before Him and Him alone. I'm not going to stand before man. I'm going to stand before Him, and He is my judge. Isaiah 33.22, For the Lord is our judge, the Lord is our lawgiver, the Lord is our King, and He will save us. I want to spend this last part here just emphasizing, folks, that it is possible to live for God in a culture that does not live for God. It's possible. We see that with Daniel. What's interesting, I mean, imagine being taken captive and being brought to this terrible nation of Babylon, and they begin to train you and instruct you in all of their culture and literature and teachings. I mean, he is being submersed into their culture. They were told to be trained in the language and the literature, and yet he hung on to his biblical worldview. 
couple weeks ago, I received an update from Barna. They do these studies and surveys and things like that, and 51% of Americans claim to have, claim to have a biblical worldview. But only 6% admit that they actually hold to it. So here we are, folks, 2021. Only 6% of Americans saying, I claim, or excuse me, I hold to a biblical worldview. And that biblical worldview means that the Bible is true, it's authoritative, and it's applicable into every area of my life. That is what we believe here at Faith. That is what I believe personally, and I know many of you believe that as well. God's Word gives us our worldview. And only 6% of Americans right now hold that. That's down from 10% only like four years ago. So we're going down. You can see where this is maybe getting a little bit more difficult trying to live out your faith in a culture that's getting more and more stirred up. I'm a millennial, okay, kind of on the, on the, if you will, the front end of that, and only 2% of millennials would hold a biblical worldview. It just continues to go down. We're in need of revival. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. A few years ago, I remember an article came out about how millennials just feel like God's Word cramps their style. I mean, we're in the, the 2000s, right? 2021. It's time for God's Word to change and get with the program. And I remember reading that and thinking, hey, I'm a millennial, and I'll tell you what happened to me. I came to God's Word, and I wasn't like, that needs to change. I was like, I need to change. God's Word is authority. It's truth. We come to that and we change our lives according to His truth. But we live in a culture that doesn't see it that way. And we need God's help. The rejection of God's Word leads us to where we are at today. We live in a culture that is so deceived and incredibly twisted. Romans 1, I referenced it last week, when people start to worship creation rather than the Creator. And in the context of those two verses, you'll see what's taking place for these unbelievers. They're exchanging God's truth for a lie. Do we see that at all in our culture? Exchanging God's truth for lies. The enemy is at work. He's deceiving all kinds of people, including us believers. And we worship creation rather than the Creator. And this spiraling effect, one of the things that it does is it causes people to degrade their bodies through sexual impurity. Do you see that? in our culture. I'm going to touch on a couple of things that I saw taking place in our nation. One was a a gal in Texas. She was giving her graduation speech. She had it pre-approved by the administration. She got up to the podium, scratched her speech, and then began a women's rights movement speech. And saying that she fears that if her contraception would would fail, that abortion would be illegal, and she couldn't have an abortion. She also mentioned, I fear that if I was to get raped, which only accounts for 1% of all abortions, but she used that platform to push the pro-choice political view 
But folks, a biblical worldview would see life, would value life, and recognize that conception begins, or life begins at conception, and those children are precious. But we've made it about ourselves. Another situation that I think is incredibly twisted, there's a private school in the state of New York. Parents are paying $55,000 a year for their kids to go to this school. That's a lot of money. (laughs) And it better be good, right? Well, one of these teachers decided to show these elementary kids, I'm talking like first graders, videos on the how-tos of pleasuring yourself. Like this is sex ed, folks, for these elementary kids. And then to take that video further is, is let's walk through how you can start to question your gender. Look, God made male and female, and you're created in the image of God. There is no reason to change that. So we're discussing some of this stuff in our staff meeting, and an excellent point was brought up that we can look around at our culture and go, my goodness, look at how the culture around us is completely fractured. And in Daniel's case, Babylon was fractured, and in comes the Medes and the Persians, and their culture's fractured. But do you want to know why they were even in that situation to begin with? Because the Jews were being disobedient to God. They didn't have it figured out, so God sends judgment upon them and sends them into this twisted, messed up culture. And so let's apply that into our own lives. We can look around at our culture, but the reality of it is there's people even inside the church that view things that they shouldn't be viewing and pleasure themselves. And we look at this situation with elementary kids and we think, that's terrible, but yet it's happening in our own homes. You go back to Yusef's statement, we've got to look inward and say, what in me needs to change? Sometimes we can take the Scriptures and it's like a window and we look into other people's lives and we say, you need to change. You need to change. You need to change. But what if we took the Scriptures like a mirror and we said, okay, what in me needs to change? What is God wanting to speak into my life? We have to put a stake in the ground, folks, and Daniel did that back in chapter 1. Daniel 1.8 says that Daniel was determined not to defile himself. Other translations say that Daniel purposed in his heart. We all have to make a decision. We have to put a stake in the ground. I'm not going to go that direction or that direction. I want to live for God. I don't want to defile myself. You have to make that decision. It's a choice. Our world is filled with all kinds of temptations, and if you've not made a choice, you're going to leap for anything that seems to come around. And believe me, there's a lot of stuff we can get caught up into. Joshua 24, verses 14 through 15, I think gives us the best response for today. Fear the Lord and serve Him wholeheartedly. Put away forever the idols that your ancestors worship when they lived beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt. Serve the Lord alone. 
But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose this day whom you'll serve. Would you prefer the gods of your ancestors? Will it be the gods of the Amorites? And Joshua says, but as for me and my family, we're going to serve the Lord. You have to make a decision. Where do I stand? Where's my family stand? Men, where does your home stand? You're the guard. We have to step up and we have to lead. We can't passively sit by and watch this culture that's wasting away pick off our loved ones around us. So, my message today, a little bit maybe heavy, but I feel like that's what God wanted me to share. And so if I was to say, what's our response? I mean, we've got a variety of things, but I would just simply ask, what is the Holy Spirit speaking to you right now? Is there something that, that God is wanting to say to you? Is there something that God would, would desire in your life that you've maybe not let Him have? And the first one is, have you surrendered your life? Are you serving the Lord? We have to put a stake in the ground somewhere, folks. And I hope it's with Jesus Christ. So I'm going to ask you now if you'd bow your heads with me as we close this time with prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this account of Daniel and how you were with him and he did the right thing. He continued to live faithfully for you even in the midst of opposition. And I pray, Father, that you would bless each home, each person that's listening. And I pray, Lord, that we would be people who stand up for what's right, who endeavor to live for you. And Father, if there's someone listening right now that maybe they've been playing around with life, but Today, they feel they need to get serious about you. They need to start living for you. And Lord, if your Spirit is speaking to that individual, drawing them in, I just invite them to pray with me right now to straighten this out and get things right with you. If that's you, simply pray with me in your heart and say, Lord Jesus, today we need to settle some things. The first thing I ask for is forgiveness. Please forgive my sin. Cleanse me. Make me clean. Today I surrender my life to you. I ask that you'd be my Lord and my Savior. Help me to live for you, even in the midst of a world that's in opposition to you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. Help me to walk the right path. Father, I thank you for those that have just prayed with me to receive you or to recommit their lives to you. I pray that you would make that decision very real for them. Lord, help us to respond to the word today 
to live for you in the midst of a culture that's not, to stand up for what's right. We thank you now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.